Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. Last week we started a brand new series uh, called this. It's called Five Solas. And anyone who reads that title, they're like, I have no idea what that means, Five Solas. Because the word sola, it's Latin. It means only or alone. And so what we're talking about for five weeks are five pillars of faith. These are non-negotiable truths for Christians. For example, last week we talked about sola scriptura. What does that mean? It means only scripture or scripture alone. And so our authority, God's word that was given to us, we look at God's word alone as higher than any other truth that's out there. And so I, I know that I gave you a long history lesson last week. and I know it can feel like, wow, that's so out of touch. So what? What does that mean? Um, we want to put a question to that. And last week we put this question out there. No matter what situation you're in in life, we want to ask this question. What does the Bible have to say about that? Are you married? Dating somebody? Got a job? Got neighbors? Like, you run into a problem or a question. Do we ask this question? What does God's word say about that? Um, in, we know this in our world, right? We live in a world where we are bombarded with people's opinions. And one of the most foolish opinions out there is this, listen, what's true for you might not be true for me. Like, isn't truth based off of whatever it is you want to believe? which is the dumbest thing ever because truth doesn't change regardless of who believes it. Because there's truth in this world because we believe that God has created this world and he's given us his truth. So we're going to talk about these five truths and this one today is called sola fide, faith alone. But let me start describing this uh, just with a, a quick story. When I was a little kid, every summer we went to San Diego for vacation and we always went to SeaWorld. As a five-year-old, six-year-old boy, SeaWorld was the greatest. You know why? Because they had Captain Kids World. Captain Kids World is the best because a five- or six-year-old, I might have had a lot of energy at that age. And so I had to touch stuff. I had to bump into stuff. I had to tackle stuff. I had to wrestle stuff. And it was horrible because I had three sisters. I needed a brother. All right? But in Captain Kids World, you can go there and there's like a hundred of these hanging punching bags that are all touching together. So you as a kid could just run through there and boom, boom, boom. I could be wild and I couldn't break anything. It's fantastic. So after about two hours of being wild, my parents would always go to this, um, it was like called the Sparklets Water Fountain and Light Show. Does anybody remember this? You sit in this cool room and it's dark and music plays and the lights all sh- and there's fountains and stuff. And like, it's a perfect place for a five or six year old to take a nap. So we walk in, we file in, all six of us file in. I'm on the end and I'm like, I'm doing what five or six year olds do after Captain Kids where you fall asleep, right? When I wake up, There's no one in my row. The lights are on, and I'm alone. I'm five or six, people. Now, to to my parents' credit, they had four kids. They were running zone defense all the time, right? And they were running, their record that day was 75%. 
I mean, that's a passing grade in anybody's opinion. You know, you only lost one of us. And I will say this. I know my parents are listening right now. And by the way, parents, I'm not done telling stories. There's another one coming. But I will just say this. Mom, Dad, I'm fine. Totally good. It's nothing that thousands of hours of therapy could solve. So some Christians, though, I think have this fear that one day they're going to wake up and realize God's gone, or maybe he was never here. Maybe God rejected me because I've been a disappointment to him. Maybe he gave up on me. Maybe I've done so many things wrong that he's like, listen, I'm going to save everybody else, but not you, because you know what? You're not enough. I know there's people who think this. And so sometimes you operate with a hustle in your life so that God might love you and not give up on you. Another quick story. I was 11 years old. Uh, My parents put us on a swim team. I think they did that because uh, for the boy they had who had a little too much energy, I would come home tired every day. That was good for parenting. So I'm at a swim meet on a Saturday, 70 degrees in Southern California. And if you know anything about swim meets, they're incredibly boring. It's a horrible sport. You sit around for two hours and swim for 45 seconds. Sit around for two more hours, swim for a minute and 15 seconds. Sit around for three more hours and do another. You get the point, right? It's a horrible spectator sport. It's horrible to participate in. And how many times you just keep going back and forth across the pool? Anyways, those are my childhood horrors. Here we go. At this particular swim meet, it was beautiful until it wasn't. My parents were like, hey, listen, you've got this. We're going to drop you off with the team. We've got other events with the girls, right? And we're just going to drop you off. You'll be fine. There's like 50 other people from your team there. So my parents leave and they're like, we'll be back before the end of the meet. But these black clouds roll in. And you can see the thunder and the, the, the you, can see, you, can see, you can't see the thunder. Let me be clear. You can see the lightning and hear the thunder. The temperature drops like 30 degrees in an hour. And all of a sudden, this lightning and thunder is around us. Buckets of water start falling from the sky. Everybody, I mean, this meet is canceled in like three seconds, and everybody is grabbing their stuff and running for their cars to get some shelter. Um, At 11, it did not take me long to figure out I'm in trouble. I grab my stuff. I walk outside because they're trying to close the gates to the pool, and I look around, and all I can see is a phone booth. For those of you under 25, um, a phone booth is a changing station with a phone in it. And it's a glass changing station, which is just weird. Um, And so I'm sitting in this booth, and all of a sudden I hear this, and I'm like, what is, it's hailing. I'm 11, and alone, and freezing, because I'm at a swim meet, right? All I got on is a Speedo. Those blue sweats with the three white stripes down the side, right? And the three white stripes right here and flip-flops. It was 70 degrees that morning. And I felt very, very alone. I picked up the phone and I called my parents collect. For those of you under 25, you will have to Google that. Um, The reason I tell you this is I think sometimes people feel like that with God. Oh yeah, God's with me, God's good. I'm not even sure. 
I need him when it's 70 and sunny and good. But sometimes a storm rolls into your life and you start feeling very, very alone. Like God is not there. He really didn't adopt you into his family. That whole baptism you went through when you were 14, like it didn't really take. You've been a disappointment to God and he's given up on you. I think people wonder about this all the time. I actually, I had some friends in Southern California. I'd known them for like 15 years. They were leaders in our student ministry down there. And somehow this question came up and they said, yeah, we really believe this. If I have a sin in my life and I've done something wrong and I don't actually confess that one specific sin before I die, I am going to hell. I was like, you cannot believe that. So you constantly live in fear of God rejecting you because you sinned. Now, I think there are Christians who live with that kind of insecurity and fear, but it's because we don't understand these five non-negotiable truths that we're calling sola, uh, the, the five solas that were clarified for us 500 years ago in what we call the Protestant Reformation. If you don't know what the Protestant Reformation is, just podcast last week's message. I'm not going to go into it today. We don't understand sola fide, that we're saved by faith alone. So if any of those questions, you've had them about how are we saved? How do we become a Christian? How do you cross the line of faith? How do you know that God is truly with you? If those are any of your questions, you're here on a great Sunday. So here we go. I want you to open up your Bibles, okay? Because we believe in sola scriptura, open up your Bibles, digital device, paper device, whatever you got, Ephesians chapter two, that'll be in your notes there. Um, Ephesians chapter two has been described like this. That the first, uh, that these first 10 verses in chapter 2 of Ephesians, it like summarizes the first three chapters of the book of Romans. So we can read through the first three chapters of the book of Romans this morning, or we can just do these 10 verses. I thought you would want to do the 10 verses. So here we go. Paul's going to open with some really, really bad news. All right? So before we get to the good news, Paul begins sharing this bad news. But get this. The good news is even better because there's bad news. Here's how he opens. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He says, we were all spiritually dead, not spiritually weakened, not faint, We were spiritually dead. Uh, Quick question, not a trick question. What are dead people capable of? Nothing. Physically dead people are capable of nothing. What are spiritually dead people capable of when it comes to reaching out to God? Nothing. He's trying to say this. Your spiritual life, your spiritual world, you were absolutely dead. And then he goes on to say this, verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time. Here's what the life looks like. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. A spiritually dead life is when we are governed by our wants. I want this. God, I'm going to do whatever I want regardless of what you want. We're driven by the things that we crave. We create our own rules, and we live by our authority. He says this. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. The result is this. 
People who live like that, they're deserving of what he says, wrath. It's not because God hates you. It's because he hates sin and what it does in this world. And so it's not like he's going to be unjust and, and show us his wrath. Actually, wrath, he says, is what we deserve. It's justice is what he's talking about. But then that's the bad news, okay? Hang with me. Then you get to verse 4, and he says, but, and it's such a great word, because it means he's about to give you all the good news. So if you need some good news this morning, here it is. But because of his great love for us, there it is, what started this whole good news? Come on, not a trick question. What started the whole good news? God loves you. That's the first piece. Don't miss this. God loves you because of his great love. By the way, let's pay attention here. It's not because of how great you are. It's not because how amazing you are. It's because of his great love for us. It goes on. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. So who made us spiritually alive? Who gave us the ability to understand God? Who gave us the desire to even want to know God? Who gave us the desire at a camp to say, I think that's true. I really believe it. Who gave us that conviction? Who gave us the conviction that we should be baptized? God put that in us. It was his love and his mercy. God's mercy is this. Let's make sure we understand this. Mercy is when you deserve something bad to happen to you. The consequences of your sin. You you commit a crime, you do the time, right? Mercy is you're not given that negative consequence. Grace is different, though. Grace is not only do you have mercy, meaning he doesn't give you the bad consequence, but he bestows favor on you. He gives you way more than you ever deserved. Mercy and grace. And we get to verse 6. It says, And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Just so we understand this, the Bible, sometimes it says things as if it is occurring right now, that statement is about you're guaranteed when you are a follower of Christ and you receive forgiveness and adoption into his family, your certainty, your presence with him in the end is so guaranteed. He talks about it as if it's currently happening right now. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. You're still in your seat, right? But your salvation is so secured in him. It's as if you're sitting with him today. Seven, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. What does he want to do with you? He wants to show you his grace in ways that you can't even compare it to anything. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Do you sense a theme in Paul's words? I do. It ain't about you or me and about how great we are. It's about how great and amazing God is. And I share all of that so that I can get to verse 8, because verses 8, 9, and 10, I think are actually the key verses in all of Scripture about what faith is. If we're going to understand sola fide, you have to understand Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. It goes like this, for it is by grace, God's grace, that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. You're saved by God's grace, by his favor, by his choosing of you. You didn't do it yourself. You didn't merit or earn anything. 
But your salvation isn't just by his grace. It says it's through faith. Faith seems to be that thing that you and I do. The word means to trust or to believe. And so we need to talk about what is faith alone. Faith alone first means this. It means that you have not earned anything. And the only thing that saves you is not your works, your good behavior, you falling in line, you being a superstar in the church, you serving God. It is simply triggered by this thing called faith. Faith is this. I'm going to use this one word to describe it. It's receiving. Look at me real quick. The scriptures teach this. The bad news is, because of how we lived, we deserve death, separation from God. But God's like, listen, I have enough mercy for you. I'm not going to give you the negative consequence. I'm actually going to take your consequences of death. I'm going to put it on my son, Jesus, on the cross. Because debts can't go unpaid. My son's going to pay them. But not only do I have enough mercy for you, I actually have enough grace for you. I'm going to give you something. It's a gift. I'm going to hand it to you. And he stands there with this salvation in his hand. So what does faith do? Faith simply says, oh, thank you very much. Faith is receiving. Number one, if you're taking notes on there, here it is. Faith is receiving salvation. It's receiving that you deserve death and separation from God. But when you receive this gift of salvation, listen, it's not just that you're going to be with him in heaven. He's with you now today. You get relationship with God. I know sometimes when uh, people are baptized, they, they talk about stuff and um, about the difference that God's made in their life. And, you know, I, I heard one of them say, because oh, I, I want to be in heaven. And yes, absolutely, that's true. But it, it's so much more than that as well. I know we didn't give him time to preach a sermon. I know he's been saved a week now. That's awesome. But it's not just about heaven. It's about a relationship with God today. But notice this. He calls it a gift he doesn't use the word reward. He doesn't say, by the way, I have this thing for you. It's your reward. He says, no, no, it's a gift out of his mercy and out of his grace. Some people have, um, have made this mistake that they think the Christian life is you pray a prayer, you receive that gift, and you get salvation, and that's it. It's almost like, God, I prayed a prayer. Thank you for the gift. See you when to end this life and go to the next one. The second thing is this, is faith does not confuse effort with earning. The gospel is, not opposed, it is opposed to earning salvation, but it is not opposed to our effort. One of Jesus' disciples, his name is James, in chapter 2 of James, he writes this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith and has no deeds? Listen to that. I don't want you to miss this. What good is it? If somebody claims, oh yeah, I have faith, I received that gift, but there's no life transformation. There's like no deeds behind it. Can such faith save them? The answer is no. It's a rhetorical question. Wait, wait, what, what do you mean? I thought you said like you just have to receive this gift and, and that's enough, right? Well, yes, but when you receive this amazing gift of forgiveness and the, the presence of God with you in your life now and you receive that relationship so that what you have on earth in relationship, you actually get in heaven at the end of time. Life with God in a perfect place, not this broken place. When you do that, 
You now live in response to that. I will tell you this. Every person saved by Jesus leads to a transformed life. Not a perfect life, but a transformed life. That's why we ask that question. What's, what difference has it made in your life? And I, I will tell you this. God will give you a brand new taste for the things that are good and of God. And he will start, usually slowly, to put a sour taste in your mouth for the things that are sinful and disobedient to God. Sometimes it happens rapidly for people like, man, I was doing this for a long time. I met Jesus and he took that desire away. Other people, it's taken a long time to remove that desire. What good is it, my brothers? If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? No, because every person who, who truly has this encounter with God they're saved by his grace. They're saved by his mercy. But it's that faith of receiving, not just salvation, but here it is, number two. It's about receiving, um, <laughs> receiving full adoption because God chose us. I'm going to get ahead of myself here for just a little bit. Um, you know, there, there's a question there in Ephesians 2.8. Look at it again. It reads this way. It says, um, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Question, what's the gift? There's two thoughts, probably three, maybe four, but I'll give you two thoughts on this. This I'm I'm not going to get all technical. Well, I'm going to get technical on you. Forgive me for this, but you might want to know this. The the word for gift, it's actually uh, the gender of the word in these Greek words. There's feminine uh, masculine and neuter words. Uh, this is actually a neuter word, but the problem is that the word faith that comes right before it, it is faith the gift? The problem is that faith is a feminine word, so usually they agree in gender. So they're like, well, what is the gift then? Because if you think about it, is salvation the gift? 100%. It's based off of God. But the word salvation isn't really in there, and it's not in the feminine, it's not in the neuter form either. So scholars are confused about what it is. Let me tell you why this matters. If faith were the gift, it means this, um, God's grace, God's mercy, and your ability to actually receive it is actually God's gift for you, which means this, you didn't even receive it. All of that was just God's gift. God did everything. You didn't do anything for it. It's kind of one of those thoughts of, so I don't actually have to do anything like God's, no, 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 no. I believe this, that it is God's gift to us if you even have the ability to want Jesus. But you still have to take it and receive it. There's still action demanded on us, and I believe that we have a choice in that. Which means this. We can treat that gift as cheap. Thanks, God, I'll see you at the end of life. Or we can just say, yeah, maybe later, God. I kind of want to run by my own rules right now. And maybe some of you are there at this point. I don't know. That you're running life on your own. And you have yet to receive that gift. If you look in your notes, number two, faith is receiving full adoption because God chose us. You know the story in Luke 15 about the two sons? It's called the story of the what son? The story of the... Prodigal son, yeah. There's two sons. 
One of them's horrible. The younger brother, he tells his dad, dad, I wish you were dead. Why? Because I want your inheritance. And the dad's like, that's terrible. But he, um, he turns around and says, that's fine. Sells half his stuff, gives his son the inheritance. His son goes and squanders his, his wealth in what they call wild living, right? When he's totally broke, he comes back to his dad. He's like, dad, forgive me. What does the dad do? By his grace and his mercy, totally forgives him and throws him a huge party. And we're like, oh yeah, that's the story of the prodigal son. Do you know that the story of the prodigal son isn't actually about that son? Because the story ends because there's an older brother who's never been disobedient, who's always stuck by his father's side. And the older brother hears the party and he's like, what is going on? They're like, your younger brother came back. He's back and your dad's throwing him a party. And instead of going, oh, my brother's back, he's like, that creep. He squandered everything. His dad hears that he won't come into the party. His dad goes out to him and he says, you know, why won't you come in? What is wrong? And he says, listen, dad, I've been slaving away for you all of my life. I've never been disobedient and you never threw me a party. And then his dad spoke these words. Listen to him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He was a son. He wasn't a slave. He had full rights to everything in his father's kingdom, yet he chose to live like a servant trying to earn his father's approval. It's, it's how Christians, some Christians live today. I got to hustle for God, got to hustle for God, got to hustle for God, as if he's going to adopt you any more than he already has. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. Do you believe that God is with you, fully adopted you as one of his kids because of how great his love is for you, not how great you are? Last thing, and I need to wrap this up. It doesn't end in verses 8 and 9. That's all I read to you. Here's verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me read that again. We are God's handiwork. That word handiwork, it's the same work that when a poet sits down to write a poem or an artist crafts a masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For every Christian, you and me, you're a masterpiece. We're God's art. There is something amazingly beautiful about you. Because God put that in you. I wonder if you know that. I wonder if you feel that. Or if you wake up in the morning and go, it's just me again, God. Our third and final point in here is just this. Faith is receiving the masterpiece life for which God created us. You see, if you're a masterpiece and God has created some good works in advance for you to do, and not just any works, but you as a masterpiece 
showing off the character of God to the world around you? Do we look for those opportunities day by day? Do you wake up and anticipate that God is going to meet you in your world? Do we really believe that? In Los Angeles, there was this struggling actor, and he made it his hobby. He would go along at garage sales and estate sales, and he would just kind of rummage through stuff and see if there was things of any interest. And there was an estate sale. He pulled over. He walked through the whole house, and he's like, there's nothing in here really of any interest to me. He walks in the garage, and back behind a couple shelves, there's this blanket, and it's wrapped around this square frame, and he pulls it out, unwraps it, and it's a, it's a picture. And he looks at the, he thought he liked it, good color scheme would go with his apartment. And uh, he says to the owner, how much for the painting? She says, five bucks. Not a problem. He takes it home, and this painting was signed Joseph Decker. It didn't take him long to go online and look up Joseph Decker and then type in pears. Because it, it was a framed painting of all these pears on a tree. Joseph Decker was an artist who painted in the 1880s and 1890s. Come to find out, this painting was actually worth something. He sold it to the National Gallery of Art for more than a million dollars. A million-dollar masterpiece was wrapped in a blanket and left in a garage for 60 years. I think there's some Christians who are like that. They don't know their worth. They don't think they're of any value if they have anything to contribute. And so they wrap themselves up, put them in the most protected place, and they are not living this God masterpiece life he's created for you. They're settling for just existing. Because I think faith, I think sola fide, if you really believe that by faith alone you are saved, it's not just that you're saved, it's not just that you're adopted, but is this concept that God is going to show up in your life again and again and again with these opportunities. And we can just wrap up in a protective blanket and live a safe life, or we can live a masterpiece kind of life. And what I mean by that is where we get to show the love of God, the character of God, the value of who God is into our broken and messed up world. You get to live a masterpiece life. But do we? Do we anticipate when we wake up in the morning, God, you have something for me today. Faith is receiving the masterpiece life for which God has created. I want to try and make every week... um, fairly tangible, so let me ask this question and close. I think the question we should be asking is this. What opportunity is God leading me to? What opportunity is God leading me to? Well, what if today you got in your car and before you left you said, God, what opportunity are you going to lead me to? Because you're probably going to go to lunch at your house, at a restaurant, The question is, God, what opportunity are you going to lead me to? To bless somebody? To be kind to someone? To strike up a spiritual conversation with someone? God will lead you to these opportunities. And maybe, let me show you two things. I mentioned that some of us live with an insecurity of maybe God will leave us. God's not going to leave behind his masterpiece. But I think there's another problem that this actually addresses. Do you remember when he said, listen, you didn't do this on your own so that no one could boast? I think he's addressing this problem. There's some people who are like, look at the life God gave me. Look how amazing 
my faith is, my life is, and it's all about them. See, the problem with some people is when they finally discover that they're a masterpiece, they take a little pride in their life. And what they're focused on is who? Themselves. Look at me. I think this text is actually pointing to this. There's people you're going to run across today, tomorrow, and every day who are a masterpiece of God, and they don't know it. Will you call out the masterpiece in them, even when they're acting ugly, acting mean, acting unlovable? Can you look at somebody and go, you know what? It's buried under a lot of grime, wrapped in a blanket, and you can't see it right now, but I believe there's a masterpiece in there. Men, you married a masterpiece. It might be a little tarnished right now. Ladies, you married a masterpiece. Parents, you gave life to these masterpieces called kids. Kids, I know it's hard to believe your parents are a masterpiece, though. That's totally different than a piece of work, right? (laughs) Sometimes we act like a piece of work. I just wonder if we lived in such a way that we didn't worry about who we were. We just trusted that God's presence was with us and just said, God, what opportunities do you have so that I can call out the masterpiece that you've created people to be? That's another centered life. And I think the sola fide by faith alone allows us to walk in relationship with God in such a way that we get to look for fabulous opportunities to call out his masterpiece. Amen? Let's bow our heads. I'm going to ask the band to come out right now. And um, instead of praying right now, I do want to ask you to keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed and just ask this of you for a moment. If we cross that line of faith and become Christians by faith alone, if it's God's gift to us, I'm just wondering if God is giving any of you that gift right now. What I mean by that is this. Is there anyone here? that you're not yet a Christian and you know you've been trying to earn his favor and you're ready to say, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I need that forgiveness. That's one group of you. You're ready to become a Christian today. That is God's gift for you. But there's others of you that you've been a Christian, but man, you've been doing life on your own terms and you need to come back to him today. You haven't been living that masterpiece life You've been running by your own terms. Eyes closed, heads bowed. Would you do this? If you need to become a Christian today or rededicate your life to God today, would you simply put your hand in the air and you're going to pray with me and we're going to pray together in this moment. I see your hand. Yes. Yes. Stick it up high. Come on. I got you. I'm going balcony too. God can even save people in a balcony. Oh, Lord. For those of you with your hands raised, I got you. Let's, let's pray together. You might use your own words, but here it is. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that by your mercy and your grace, you have shown yourself to me. So I say today, God, I'm going to receive this gift of salvation. From this day on, God, I receive that I'm adopted into your family and you never unadopt your kids. But Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to walk in step with you, in relationship with you, so that I can learn how to live this masterpiece life. So God, show me. Thank you for saving me. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, there's three people in this room who gave their lives to Christ. How do we feel about that? Come on. Hey, let's finish with this. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing together. And if you gave your life to Christ today, share that with somebody you came with. Either share it with me today or someone that you came with. Don't let that be a secret in your family or amongst your friends. Let's stand together. Let's sing.